Our scripture reading today is 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. As you're looking that up, I'd like to draw your attention to this little blue card here. It should be just in front of you in the pew. Uh, it's called a Connect card. If you're a guest here with us, we'd love to have you fill this out. Um, if you want to put your information on there, we'd like to send you a little note this week. We are a church who believes strongly in the importance of scripture and the value of studying it both together and individually. Um, You can look it up in the Bible in the pew or if you have your own Bible. I like to use YouVersion on my phone. I actually use this a lot at home. I found it's a really good way to get some scripture in my day. Um, The little man on my phone will read it to me. So I can just tell him to start reading my plan for that day, and I can wash the dishes or be doing other things, and it's reading to me. Yesterday I was painting the house, and the man was reading to me. So it's just an easy way to get some extra Bible time in your day. All right, 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 17. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a palace of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. That night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore, as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. All right, we're back in David series for uh, two more weeks this week and and the next week we wrap things up. And, uh, well, okay, I was about 15 years old and I was sitting in a youth room in Las Cruces, New Mexico. It was not as fancy a youth room as our youth room. Even it was just a plain old little room, 
That's how we used to do it back in the day. <laughs> and uh, I was sitting in this room and our, our youth leaders were, I believe they were sitting on the couch and I was on probably a metal chair. And I remember them saying something along the lines of, by the time you are a junior or senior in high school, you should know what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Now, I don't know where they got that. I haven't found that in Scripture yet. But uh, pray for our youth leaders because sometimes you never know what they're going to say that's going to stick, you know. And uh, all of a sudden, which those youth leaders, they said a lot of good things too, I'm sure. But anyway, that stuck with me. And I felt all this tremendous pressure to figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And then you, you as, as college approaches, right, there's this, like, mm, you better figure out what your major is going to be, right? You better figure out which college you're going to go to and what your major is going to be because that's what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And then you go to college and it costs a lot of money. You're like, I better get this right. This is a lot of money. And if, you know, I went the first year, I had no clue. And so I changed my major the second year. And, and I got that degree, did that for two or three years, and then switched and did something completely different. And so I found out through, the, through this, uh, it's just, it's a crazy kind of time we're living in, in a way. If you look at our, our youth now, I've talked with most of them, and I would say most of them can identify with that, and then some. They're like, I don't know. I'm just trying to figure this thing out. You know, there's like a billion degree options, and I've got to pick something to, you know, me or my parents spending a whole lot of money on it, and I just a lot of pressure to figure out what you're going to do. Social scientists, sociologists say, uh, last I heard, this was a long time ago. It's probably more now that the average adult through their lifespan will go through like four major career changes. Just, you know, the world's changing. You don't just get the degree and then keep that. That's what you do the rest of your life. Or take that one job out of high school and get trained and that's what you do the rest of your life. It's a different world now. And our kids, especially, are feeling a ton of pressure to figure it all out. And they're investing a lot of money a lot of times in something that they're not even going to end up doing long term. But you've got to have the degree. It's kind of a crazy world that we live in. But, you know, that pressure... To find your purpose, to find where you fit in in life, is not just unique to our our young people. It's something that we all deal with at various times in our life. And there's uh, there's people who are retired who are trying to figure out what's that supposed to look like. You know, uh, what am I supposed to be doing with my time? Some of you are like, what time? You know, I thought I was going to have some time to do some stuff when I retired, and here I am. I don't, I don't even know what we're doing. But all the time seems to go away. All the money seems to go away. What are we supposed to be doing? And, and in different stages of life, you know, you find yourself stuck in a job that you don't find fulfilling at all. You're tired of it. You're sick of it. Your boss is a jerk. What? Where do I? Where am I supposed to be? What? I don't feel like I'm making much of a difference in this life. I don't even. I don't even know. Different seasons of life with your kids, where you know you're like, do they even hear what I'm saying? It's just we all at different seasons and at different times run into this thing where we're like, well, what does my life matter? Do I have purpose? Where do I fit in in the scheme of things? And I think David has some really good things to teach us about that, especially in regards to David as king. For David, that whole king thing kind of hovered over his head for his, most of his whole life. 
you know, it started out when he was out in that field tending sheep, right? And his father sends a runner. David, you better get here fast. This prophet guy is not going to let any of us sit down until you get here. <laughs> Jump on the fastest donkey and hurry it up. <laughs> and David comes and he's the guy and he gets anointed. But as far as we can tell, they didn't even know what he was anointed for. Uh, after all, there was a king on the throne, and we have no record of Samuel announcing, I'm anointing you to be the next king. That probably would have gotten the anointer and the anointee dead, <laughs> right? Because there was a king. But he was anointed for something. Can you imagine the pressure? I mean, David's time was a much simpler time than ours. You did not worry about what you're going to do in college. There was no college. You didn't worry about, uh, you know, what's my career going to be? It was going to be what it was going to be. I mean, there was a, your family had a thing. You know, David's family had a bunch of sheep. So it was probably going to be involved with managing sheep some way or another. Uh, you know, he was not the, even the firstborn son. He was the lastborn son. So it wasn't going to be spectacular. Until this guy shows up and anoints him. What does that mean? And in a society where, you know, weird stuff didn't happen to people, you just kind of followed the path that you were born into, that probably felt like a lot of pressure. Apparently I'm supposed to be special. (laughs) And then there's, of course, that moment when, uh, you know, David rides out there and he sees a problem called Goliath and takes the problem's head off. And everyone's cheering, David, David, woo! You know, and then he's like, man, well maybe there is something to all this. Pretty soon he gets called up to be Saul's assistant, the king's assistant. Pretty soon he's best friends with the king's son. Pretty soon the king's daughter has a crush on him. And all the other ladies in town are singing the the song. You remember the song? Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Something like that. And he's like, man, that anointing thing must have there must have been something in that oil, right? What's going on here? And everything seems to be trending up for David. The, the king even refers to him as his son sometimes, even though he's no son in truth. The king offers his, um, his young daughter in marriage to David for a price. Kind of a gruesome price. Kind of probably gross you out. I probably shouldn't even tell you, but now that I said that, I guess I'll have to say it was a hundred foreskins. Now, if you don't know what foreskins are, ask your father later. Don't ask me. (laughs) And I think kind of Saul was hoping that that would probably get David killed. But uh, he underestimated what kind of warrior David was because he came back with 200. In a day and time. See, I've been telling y'all, if you've got this picture of 3000 BC, uh, or 1000 BC, sorry, 3000 years ago, as this civilized time period, work on it (laughs) because it wasn't. Think tribal, think violent, think uncivilized. And think about the fact that in a a society where, uh, you know, warrior was a career path, (laughs) in a sense. 
you didn't, uh, you know, there was no camera phone, there was no reporters to go out in the field and, and take record of what you were doing. Uh, so you gathered evidence, whether it was a head or a scalp or whatever. Hmm. And so he came back and he got to marry Saul's daughter, the daughter of the king. Things are trending up. Must have been something to that whole anointing thing. But then Saul, who, whose primary purpose in life had been defeating Israel's enemies. That's the one God gave him. He decided to trade that in for his own purpose in life. And that was killing the Lord's newly anointed We don't know if Saul got some kind of mental illness thing going on. It kind of seems like it. I mean, one minute he's hurling spears. The next minute, oh, David, my son, you're so great. And then hurling spears, mostly hurling spears. Riding all over the countryside looking for David. Uh, so David didn't get to enjoy the married life very long. He was suddenly on the run for his life. Hiding in caves. He even fled, get this, to the Philistines. The first time he tried to do that, looking for some kind of protection, some kind of life besides holed up in a cave. The first time he did that, news had not yet reached the Philistines of David's dilemma. And so then, of course, they're kind of like, well, isn't this the guy that was holding Goliath's head? <laughs> isn't this the guy that... Uh, you know, the, the ladies sing that song about, how does that go? Saul has killed his thousands, and David is tens of thousands. Bump, bump, Remember that? Y'all are going to have this down by then. <laughs> Even the Philistines knew the song, alright? <laughs> this David, it, was, it must have been a good song. But uh, even they knew the song and they repeated it back and they said, well, no, we can't have this guy here with us. So David had to act like a madman just to escape with his life. But later news got to them that David was on the outs and so he did. He went and found refuge with the Philistines. Now I just, I don't know if you can wrap your minds around that. If you can place yourself in David's shoes who has been anointed by God to be the next king of Israel... Who, who fills in his heart this sense of purpose that he somehow is to be God's instrument that delivers his, God's people from their enemies. I mean, he's the guy who, you know, walked in while the, the Israel's tallest warrior, his strongest warrior was Saul, the king, was holed up in his tent, scared. He's the guy, the, the young man, who stands up and says, something's got to be done about this. We can't let God's enemies be mocking God's people like this. Come on now. Is God on our side or is he not on our side? He has this fire, this passion in him for God's people, God's nation, for God himself, for God's reputation, for his name, for delivering God's people from God's enemies. And here he is having to ask for help from God's enemies having to pretend like he's raiding God's people so he can be in good and safe with God's enemies just so he can find refuge 
from the king of the very people he loves who's trying to hunt him down and kill him. Now you want to talk about being in a season of life where you're struggling to find purpose and meaning and and what I, you know, is what I'm doing here, does it even matter? I mean, come on. <laughs> you're living with the enemy. When you'd rather be fighting the enemy. Some of us can identify with that. A little bit at least. Because we found ourselves in places we don't want to be. We don't see really a way out of it. Circumstances being what they are. What do you do when you run into that? David eventually got to... You know, he, did, he spent a lot of time, not just with the Philistines, but out in the wilderness as well. And he gathered men to him who would later be loyal to him for a long time. We talked about that in the sermon on David as a warrior, right? But ultimately, he was a fugitive right up until the day that Saul died. And then this Amalekite came running up to David's camp and said... That was one of their enemies, by the way. You know, we hear the Philistines all the time, but there were a lot of little groups like that, Amalekites and Philistines and all sorts of little groups, little nations around that uh, would bicker with each other, and they all bickered with Israel. And um, this guy said, Good news, David. Saul's dead. What he didn't know, apparently, and how could he? He was an Amalekite is that uh, David had an intense respect for the office, you might say. I don't know, did you ever grow up with that? I, I grew up, you know, even when it's a president we don't respect, we respect the office of the president, right? We respect the office of the president. Even if, you know, uh, so I just always assumed that if I ever got invited to the White House, it hasn't happened yet. But if I ever did, then, then I would go even if I didn't like the guy because I respect the office and it would be a, be a thing, you know, it would be a neat thing. Well, David had this intense appreciation for the Lord's anointed, that's what he called it. Maybe it's because he too had been anointed and he knew it was a special thing. And so he, even though he had multiple opportunities to do Saul harm, he never did. And he never let his men do it either. And he would always give the spiel. We're not going to attack the Lord's anointed. If God wants to take care of him, God can take care of him. But it's not going to be on me. It's not going to be on you guys. So just leave him alone. Well, this Amalekite, he didn't know. He didn't know the Lord's anointed spiel. Hadn't heard it. So he showed up and thought he was bringing good news. And all of a sudden David's tearing his clothes and weeping and mourning. And so are all of his men. And that was probably the Amalekites' first clue that this may not go as I expected. (laughs) The second clue was probably the spiel about, so you thought it was alright to kill the Lord's anointed? (laughs) And the third clue was probably the big guy with the sword coming towards him. But didn't go as planned. Not the reward he was looking for. And so that changed everything for David, right? I mean, he had been trending up towards king, and then he had been a fugitive for all these years, but now the guy who was hunting him down was dead. So it was all good from then on, right? Yeah. 
Still kind of a long road. He got, uh, he got crowned king, that's true, but not of Israel, just of Judah. One tribe out of twelve said, we want you to be our king. So he had him and his tribe down there doing their thing. And again, people saying, why don't you go kill the king? Because see, they had, met, they had made uh, Saul's son, Ishbosheth king in his place over the other 11 tribes and so lots of people say hey David just you know Ishbosheth I mean just a name like Ishbosheth way better way better off with David you're going to be way more popular just do him in and let's be done with it let's get on with the, pro- with the progress here and again David said I'm not going to lift a hand against the Lord's anointed and so Someone who apparently was not familiar with the Amalekite story, and someone who was not apparently familiar with David's spiel about the Lord's anointed, decides to bring David Ishbosheth's head. Didn't go well for him either. <laughs> Didn't go well for him either. But at last, David was king. He was king over all 12 tribes, but he was a king without a capital until he took Jerusalem by storm and set up capital there in what would become known as the city of David. But even sitting on his throne in his new capital, David didn't have much of a kingdom because his enemies were all around, felt free to come in and raid and take territory and take cities and attack Israelites at will. So something had to be done. And that's when David found his purpose. I don't know if he realized it at the time. But he was God's chosen instrument to, de- to deliver his people from their enemies. To finally secure a nation with borders. Because you can't have much of a nation if your borders are constantly free for enemies to come in and attack. You can't have much of an economy, can you? when people can always come in and take all your stuff. (laughs) So there was not going to be any prosperity. There was not going to be any upward movement. There was not going to be much of a kingdom at all if something wasn't done about Israel's enemies and about the borders that were under attack. David spent the greater part of his kingship taking, taking care of that problem. And in his old age, as things were dying down, and there was at last some kind of peace in the kingdom, he looked around and one day he called up his buddy Nathan the prophet, who had been with him through thick and thin and held him accountable at times. And He said, here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. You can hear David's heart, can't you? The God whom he loves. The God who has seen him through so much in his life. The God who has delivered Israel from her enemies. And he wants to pay some kind of respect. He thinks God ought to have it better than him. You can hear his heart. God could hear his heart. Nathan, the prophet, could hear his heart. But as we read a few minutes ago, Nathan, after going and talking to God about it, had to come back and say it's not you David you're not the guy for that job 
wonder what that felt like for David to know that someone else would get that glory, would get that honor, would get credit for building a house for God. The vision he had would be filled by someone else. But we get some insight, some further insight to it in First Chronicles, which a lot of times has kind of parallel accounts of some of these stories of, of David. And we're told there that David said to his son Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, but this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have said, shed much blood on the earth in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon, and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. David, that temple thing is not why I made you king. I had a purpose for your life. It's not the same as my purpose for your son. Or anyone else. It was unique to you. I want to suggest to us today that doing what matters most matters more than feeling like you're what matters most. That was a humbling thing for David to let that go. His vision... His plan, he could have said, I earned the right to do this. Fought my whole life long to have this kind of peace. And now I want to build something special that not only will be special for God, but people will remember me for. And instead that glory, that credit, that honor went to someone else. But doing what matters most matters more than feeling like you're what matters most. You could say that God's, God does have a purpose for your life. It just may not be as glamorous or appear as glamorous as theirs. <laughs> Fill in the blank with who theirs is. But we all have that tendency to look around, don't we? And say, you know, well, they seem to have so much purpose in life. They seem to fit. They know exactly what they're doing. I mean, every time you just go to church and they're up talking and they're up, you know, they're teaching the Sunday school class or they're singing. Or they just, they fit in. Everyone likes them. It happens at work, it happens in our homes, in our families. You've always got that one sibling that's the overachiever. And they seem to know just what they're doing in life. Everything goes well. You know, we, we like to compare sometimes. But a lot of times we, we find that, in fact, probably just about everyone who ever pursued God's purpose for their life and what mattered most for them to be doing for God and for the kingdom, everyone who pursued that in their life could find people around them whose purpose seemed to be more glamorous than theirs. And I think David, in this moment, you know, the temple, building that, I mean, if you've ever seen draw-ups, you know, of what it looked like and in its, in its heyday. Wow. But that glory wouldn't be his. But he had spent his whole life doing what mattered most. 
What, how do we know in our lives what matters most? I think a good searching question to ask in your pursuit of that is simply, are you serving people and honoring God where He's placed you? Are you serving people and honoring God where He's placed you? If you want to know if you're doing what matters most, just figure that out. Where I'm at right now, am I serving people and honoring God? Am I being faithful where He's placed me in this season of life? See, the thing about finding your purpose, finding your spot, finding what matters most in your life begins with the understanding that it's not about you at all. It's about others. It's about God. You'll never find the right sense of purpose or meaning in your life as long as it's about you. And notice that it's not where he placed someone else, it's where he placed you. Sometimes we just need to stay in our lane. Serve where we've been, you know, what does it say? Grow where you've been planted or however that works. Uh, Just, you know, God's placed you somewhere right now and you can serve him right there it may not be as glamorous as you would like it may not be as glamorous as someone else but you can serve him right there you may feel like what a lame season this is I'm not any good to anybody right now but there's someone around you isn't there and God's always around so serve people and honor God where he's placed you Right now, in this season. And recognize that this this whole figuring out what matters most, doing what matters most with your life, making a difference with your life, fulfilling God's purpose for your life, it's, it's more of a slow trickle sort of thing than a big splash for most of us. Right? It's, a, it's more of a marathon than a sprint. Now there may be seasons where you feel like you're sprinting, and there may be seasons where you feel like you're walking backwards. But we remain faithful, and we try to serve people, and we honor God wherever we're placed in that time. I mean, picture David. Out with the sheep. You know, and then there's that season where everything's going well. It probably felt easy. To serve people and honor God and do what he was called to do during that season. But then all of a sudden, he's out on the run. Living with God's enemies? How are you supposed to serve people and honor God then? But he found ways. He found ways. So we have to find ways to serve people and honor God wherever he's placed us. And that's how we make sure that we're doing what matters most. And that matters more than feeling like you're the one that matters most. You know, hopefully at the end of your life, you can do what David was able to do. And look back through the years and see how far you've come and see what good was done and the bad too. 
But to be able to look back and say, you know, even in that terrible season, I see that God was able to use me in some way. It's able to make a difference in some way. Or it prepared me for what I had to do next. Or, you know, hindsight, it's always easier to see what God's been up to. Certainly than foresight. It's almost impossible, at least in my experience, to figure out what's coming next. And every time I think I've got it figured out, then God changes it up. You thought it was this, but... So just concentrate on serving people and honoring God where He's placed you. And recognize that that's an over-the-long-haul thing and that kingdoms aren't built in a day. Right? Rome wasn't built in a day. Kingdoms aren't built. David's kingdom wasn't built in a day. Christ's kingdom hasn't been built in a day, has it? I mean, from the time that it was prophesied that the Messiah would come from David's line, took some 900 years for him to be born. When the king was born, he was worshipped as a king by a few. But it took some 30-odd years before he even did anything noteworthy or noticeable to anyone. And then it still took a few years before he took the throne. And when he did that, it didn't look like anything anyone expected because the throne looked like a cross. He died, he resurrected, found victory over death, and then he ascended and left kingdom work to us. And sometimes we look around and feel like, wow, the kingdom's still got a ways to go, doesn't it? There's still so much work left to be done. There's still so many, so much of God's enemy that's at work around us. Still a lot of borders to be secured. But it takes time and we have hope. And so it's important that we keep on doing what matters most. That we keep on serving people and honoring God where He's placed us at that time. And, and so, you know, for you, maybe that's at your desk job or your construction job or whatever your job looks like. You're right there. You can serve people and honor God. You know, maybe it's in your family in this season of life with your grandkids or your kids or your, just your spouse and you, whatever. You can find ways right there to serve them. And to honor God right where He's placed you in that season. You know, you may be a, a stay-at-home mom or whatever the case may be. It, right there, you can serve your family. You can serve your kids. You can uh, be a blessing. You can serve in the church. Uh, you know, a lot of times we have p- people who feel like, you know, they don't fit in. They don't know where their place is in the church. But even right where you're at today... Even if you weren't suddenly put in charge of a ministry, there are things you can do here to serve others. Right where you're at. And honor God. And when we're faithful to do that, even in the seasons where it feels like we're stuck with the Philistines, when we're faithful to do that, then someday we'll come to the end of that road and see that a difference was made in someone's life may not have been a big splash. It may not be as glamorous as them or them. But we're still all going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for serving people. 
and honoring me right where I placed you. You did exactly what I needed you to do. Well done. Maybe you're here today and that journey starts for you with signing up with Jesus in the first place. You'll struggle to find a sense of meaning and purpose in this life without getting right with the Creator who designed you and has a purpose for your life. And so maybe you need to start there today. Getting right with God first and then praying about how can I serve people and honor God right where He's placed me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your plans for us. We confess that we often desire to feel important, to receive glory, when you alone deserve glory. And we admit, God, that we have a tendency to compare ourselves to others, to find a sense of our worth. So Holy Spirit, help us find our sense of worth in being a blessing rather than being blessed. In serving others and serving you rather than serving ourselves. God, lead us in the paths you have for us. Amen.